We've been on a couple of just uh, follow-ups from Advent and New Year, and then we'll look at the, the, the importance of the Word next week. In uh, two weeks, we will be returning to the Gospel of Matthew and our exposition we've been on for a couple years, um, and that will get completed through the spring, and um, we'll wrap that up. Um, our, I don't know about your house, we, uh, it's uh, slowly beginning to look um, like after Christmas again, which is, means it looks plain. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Christmas decorations are starting to come down, and the lights, um, the dishes of candy are all getting empty. Um, I don't know about you guys, they, those, uh, they those candies, they're out all the time. You ever had those orange, orange things that are like this orange gummy things with the sugar all over them? And at Christmas, they have like bells, and they're red and green ones, and they're, they're probably horrible for you, but they're really good. They stick to your teeth. And um, I could tell it's the end of Christmas because all that's left is the green ones because nobody in our family likes the green ones. Everybody likes the red ones. So um, everything's looking fairly normal and um, every day. Uh, my wife, early in our marriage, which is actually in a couple weeks, can be 37 years. It's um, a long... She, uh, she started collecting Christmas dishes. I don't know if anybody has Christmas dishes in their home, but she had the... Uh, I don't remember what pattern this is. It's, I shouldn't know. I've bought enough of these. Nico uh, is a Nico holiday pattern, and she had wanted some, so we got a box of a little set. And then every Christmas, um, we've added pieces to it. Um, my kids often will get that for a Christmas gift. If I drop this, this year will not be a good year. So um, <laughs> hang on to this. She didn't know I took it. Um, so, but... You know, when the Christmas plates come out, it's like, hey, it's Christmas time, right? And there's something about that season, those, those special seasons that we have, that um, we get focused differently. We, we think all differently. I, I sometimes, in our home, we all acted a little nicer. In my home growing up, we all treated each other a little better during that time. Um, that would end at some point. Um, but that's, you pull these things out, and there's a special season, and our minds and thoughts go different places. But then they get packed up, don't they? They get, they get packed up again. And when they get packed up, these come back out. <laughs> if you look very closely, it's all scratched up from, you know, using, you know, and these, like, don't use that sponge on those dishes. Like, okay, just, just very carefully. These, it's like, <laughs> just, they're chipped up and messed up. and They're ordinary, aren't they? They're ordinary. If they break, nobody's shedding any tears over it. Um, Seasons change, even in Tucson. Um, we start getting used to writing down 2019, if you still write checks, um, instead of 2018. Um, we're, at, we're over Advent, and we're kind of in, you know, even if you want to just treat every day the same, we, we, we go into these seasons and changes and transitions, and um, they can be helpful. They're good opportunities to reflect to, to replan, we still function just because we're near the university, a little bit of an academic calendar, which I like because it's one more chance to kind of restart again and think, um, I need those times. If we follow the liturgical calendar, which generally we don't here at this church, I didn't grow up with that, but um, in the church calendar, a liturgical calendar, there's different seasons. And there's, um, you've got the Advent season, which is one of their, their main seasons that would go. Then it uh, begins with Lent with um, Ash Wednesday and continues through Pentecost Sunday. And then it picks up again when we come to Advent. But there's a bunch of time in between. And those seasons, we, we, you pay special attention, you get more focused. Um, those are all good things. 
Um, we get more intent on things that matter, especially sometimes our, our walk with God, because we're just paying attention to it differently. But the majority of this church year, if you follow that calendar, is called ordinary time. It's like 37 weeks out of the 52 is um, the rest of the time. And uh, we tend to um, kind of just go into ordinary mode. Um, we get ramped up about the seasons in certain times, and then we go back into our everyday stuff. Um, in this particular year, ordinary time would run like January 14th or so, another week or so, to March 5th, and then early June until Advent, November 29th. Um, as we all know, most of life is um, ordinary. We might call it ordinary time. And we, we fall into patterns during those times of living life like that. It's just the same old, same old, the same old usual. And we fall into those patterns very quickly. We just this day out, day in and day out living, uh, whether it's work, um, driving your kids around, um, relationships, the, the, the routines of our day that just kind of fall into place, our daily tasks. And um, it's easy to... Um, I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. It's easy just not to pay attention to the Lord and what he wants to do and what he's calling us to in the normal courses of our days, which is most of the year, by the way. Um, I always often wonder about the nativity narratives. What happened afterwards? Because we hear hardly anything for a while that happened afterwards. What happened to the shepherds when they went back we know that they went back praising. We know that they were changed. But they went back to the same life, by and large, hopefully different. But they're back in the fields. They're back working. As we said, they're a marginalized group. They're still marginalized. That hasn't changed any. Mary and Joseph, after we know they go to Egypt, we looked at that passage. But then they settle back in, and there's work. They have other children. All the dynamics of a home. And, and struggling and poverty and all the things that went on and trying to live the whole season of that. What, what did that look like for them? The Magi, you wonder, they had this, this great journey God called on to that occupied their time and attention, and they're anticipating the king, and they see him, and they worship, and then they have this trip back, and then that trip is done. That, that trip is over, and then life goes on. What went on for them? What was that like? Even John the Baptist, uh, we have these, this, all this big section that we looked at uh, um, of Luke that was so focused on him, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit from even in the womb. But once he's born, we've, we don't hear anything about him. He's out in the wilderness for almost 30 years, hearing nothing. He's just there day by day by day. What was his life like? What did he pay attention they all went back to the usual, the ordinary, the, the unspecial time, right? I think that um, one of the thing, reasons we grab onto some of these seasons and special things is we try to um, escape the ordinary. Uh, we we want to grab onto those other times. If, if you grew up in a home like mine where there was uh, at least there was a fair amount of trauma, you really grabbed onto the special days because all of a sudden everything felt okay just for a day or for a week. But then that ends, and you go back, and we try to somehow carry all that into our ordinary days, but we don't. Our main portion of life 
is day by day by day, walking with Jesus, discovering what he's got, living the life that he's called us to live. Not always very special, and yet it's always filled with his presence. Interesting, in the liturgical churches, they, they have different colors for different seasons. You know what the color of the ordinary time is? Anybody that grew up in that kind of church know? Green. It's green, which is about growth. And it's in those seasons of life that actual growth happens. It's in the ordinary day-to-day stuff. If we have our focus and our attention in the right place, that growth begins to happen. So as we step into this new year, as we step back into ordinary life, um, what is that supposed to look like? That's the question. How should it be characterized? Amidst all the things that will be going on, um, what is the main thing, or at least what are some things that ought to catch our attention and kind of be the, the, um, the thing that traces through all these ordinary days that ought to be pulling us along, that needs to run through it all? Today, uh, the message here is definitely more devotional than exposition. We're just going to look at this passage briefly, and then we're going to pull one phrase out of it, and I'm going to just some, throw some ideas out. Um, really, the follow-up this is to think through it later on. And so I just want to introduce some things to orientate our minds. So look briefly at the passage that uh, Bill read, and then I'm going to suggest a couple things that might give us uh, some focus into our ordinary days ahead. As I said, I'm not going to really expand, but um, rather point and suggest some things that you might reflect on as the year uh, begins to unfold. So you can turn to John 1. Um, We're picking up with verse 35. Uh, we understand that th- some of the disciples that followed Jesus were following John. They had jobs, they were fishermen, they were working, um, but they had attached themselves to John as he came and uh, believed that he was pointing towards something, that they're waiting. So they're, they're, they're men, um, they already had a heart for God and were longing for the arrival of the Messiah. They were waiting for it, wondering when it would, could, would be happening, and somehow knew and believed that John the Baptist was kind of pointing that way, and that's where we come into this passage. So beginning with verse 35, and we'll have the, the verses up here a little bit as we go along. It says, next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. We discovered that one of those was Andrew. And John the Baptist looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Um, so we have two men are with John the Baptist. One's Andrew, and, and John basically says, behold. We don't use the word behold ever anymore. I mean, generally not angels use those words, right? Um, but it just means look at that. T- pay attention. Do not miss what's there. This is something. Do not miss this. And he points to Jesus, and he says he's the Lamb of God. Interesting. He uses the, the, the very heart of what Jesus came to do to give himself as a sacrifice John understood that. Something about it, he understood it. And the disciples, these guys following, took notice of it. It's basically saying, take careful notice. This is the one. This is where your attention should be. Which means not on him, which is what they did. And they left him. And they followed Jesus. He says, if you're seeking Messiah, well, there he is. So follow him. By the way, this was no small matter um, when those men took, made a decision, and all the men and women that followed this decision to pursue Jesus, nothing could be the same again. It was all going to change for them. Um, we discover in the Gospels that 
Nothing in their lives is ever the same. Every activity, desire, their relationships, their dreams, every detail of their lives is about to find a, a new center, a new orientation. Everything's going to have to change around it. And until it does, God's going to keep working in them. Because once they made Jesus the center, everything's going to have to readjust around that. It was a step towards having every waking moment, every normal detail of their life orientated around something different. It was a person. And that is what is true of all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. All the things, not just certain things, all the things, all the little nitty-gritty details, that this, the, the normal stuff of life, everything is supposed to be orientated around this person. And that's part of the, that's what Christian growth is about, figuring that out, letting that happen in us. And it says here, verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I've talked about this passage before. It's just kind of a humorous little passage. Um, they're literally walking behind him at a distance, like they're stalking him, you know? They're, they're, he's walking, and they're kind of hanging back, walking along. It's like, you know, the dog that's following you say, can turn around and say, go home, right? Um, Jesus doesn't do that. But they're behind him, and finally Jesus knows what's going on. He turns around, and he addresses them with a question. And the question is, um, some of you are trying to say, what do you want? It's right, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And it is the question. It is the question. Jesus cuts to the, to the very heart of it. It, it, it cuts to the, the question of who am I even as a person? What have I, what have I, have I been created for? What, what is my purpose in life? What is it, what is it about? It's he goes to the very, very questions that we often avoid, but they are the key questions of life. His words are meant to challenge uh, what they may be seeking, what they may be finding life in, and they're meant to realign them to what God has created them for and us as well. And in this passage here, the disciples, they, they either got it and were not ready for it, like we often are, or it just went... It just went over them. So they asked, they give this lame response. Where are you staying? Like, what hotel? Um, they do small talk. It's like the news, sports, weather, right? That was, that was their response. And here in front of them is the question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? I avoid the question. Um, it's easier just to cr crank through the days and figure, well, things will go okay and God will do what he needs to do in, in me rather than stopping and really going down deep in the heart of hearts and showing up in my life, what am I about? What do I really seek? Is, is my life true? If I say I'm a follower of Christ, is it, have I really let my life be examined by that and let it be shaped by that? If I entertain that question, really entertain it, it may call for some big changes. Um, it's going to shake up my little personal kingdom that I work very hard to put together. And the question for us as we enter a new year, are we, are we let, willing to let that question probe our own hearts? 
even if it means shaking some things up. And that's what Jesus was inviting them to. It's interesting, he doesn't rebuke them for, for missing it or avoiding it or whatever, they were going, whatever was going on with them. He doesn't rebuke them at all, I love it. Rather, he invites them into a relationship. He invites them, says, just come with me. He says, I'll show you where I'm staying. And he's actually going to take them, show them where he's staying. He's, he's actually going to answer the question. I will show you where I'm staying. By the way, if you follow me, it's always going to change. But I'll show you where I'm actually staying. Verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. Jesus knows what they're going to see, but they're thinking they're just going to see where he's staying, which they do. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and then they stayed with him that day. They end up being in the presence of the Messiah all day long. They spend the day with him. Just just one day. I'm not sure, you know, just one day. And at the end of the day, they know that they can't run away from the question anymore. They understand that there has been a calling on their hearts, that, there's, that he's the one, and they, they can't leave it. It's going to change everything. But they know that in Christ, in Jesus, in this one that they spent the day with, is the answer to all the questions. And it is the, the, um, that which is going to shape everything else in their life. That what they've longed for always somehow is found in him. And what they're truly seeking, they know it's going to be found in him. And we know that because it goes on here. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he went and he found his brother Simon and he said, we have found the Messiah. He goes, one day I found it. I have found what we've been looking for. He's the one. And so Andrew brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, and you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. He, right on the spot, he invites Peter into who he was really called to be. He changes his identity and his name. So Andrew goes to Peter and says, we found what we've been looking for, and he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus changes his name. And, uh, and we all know the rest of the story, <laughs> what, what goes on after that. And it's a lot. Like us, the disciples are often are not aligned with the heart of Jesus. Over and over again, they're, they're self-seeking. They, they become the center, and it gets changed around there. They look for the center in other places, and yet Jesus keeps, they begin to grow. And even, in, even when they're not getting it right, they start making an impact, which is what he's doing in us. And later in the story, there's a point we've looked at before when everybody's abandoning Jesus and Jesus says, are you guys going to go too? And they're like, yes, we'd love to leave too, but we can't. We can't because the words of life are only found in you. And they discover, like many of us have had, that he is the one, and everything's got to be shaped around that. We may fight it and resist it, but they'll never be content in our lives until our lives are shaped around that place. If we're going to experience life in the new year, if our many, many, many ordinary days meant for life and growth in the fullness of God, if those ordinary days are going to matter, it will happen when we seek the right things and when we stop seeking the things that derail our life. When we begin to let Jesus be the center and seek him and what that looks like and cease seeking 
all those other things that simply want to be the center but aren't supposed to be. Biblically, to seek is to align our hearts or our desires with the heart and desires of God. To, to seek him, like it's talking about here, is to align our hearts with the heart of God. That's it. And not just this spiritual part of me or whatever. It's all the little details of my life aligned with how he would align them. And it's going to take a lot of work, right, for all of us. It's going to take a lot of work because there's a lot that's out of a line. So what does it look like? What does that look like? What I want to do without much commentary, I'm just going to read through some scriptures. It'll be a little hard to read here, but I'll, I'll tell you the references, um, and they'll be on the website and the, under the message here. Not really comprehensive by any means. Doesn't, I'm not going to do all of them. Um, but what do the scriptures tell us to seek after? Because the scriptures tell us what to seek after. And what are the things that we're not to seek after? Um, and they, sometimes they go together. Um, and then maybe it's just picking one of those things. Obviously, in the end, it's seeking Jesus. But specifically, what does that look like? And maybe there's this one thing we want to begin to put aside that we've been seeking and making a center, and there's one thing that we need to make central because it's a, a place he's calling us to. Um, and begin to dig into, so what does that look like in my ordinary days? Um, if, if I'm supposed to seek the interests of others, for instance, what does that look like at home? What does it look like at work? Um, what does it look like when I'm moving through campus or the stores or whatever it is? What does that look like? And, and begin to really get into detail about what that looks like. So a few things not to seek. Scriptures tell us. Romans 10.3 says that we're not to seek a righteousness of our own making. That's all about me doing everything I can as though that will bring myself and make myself acceptable to God. He says, don't do that. Don't seek to do that because I've already given you that. So don't spend your time seeking a righteousness of your own making. That's a trap for me. It doesn't work. Romans 2.8 says, don't be self-seeking. I think we all know what that is. It's kind of a general statement. Don't be self-seeking, but I think we all know what that looks like. It goes on in Philippians 2.21. It says, do not seek out your own interests. Right? Uh, we live in a, a culture today, um, and you'll hear over and over again about things about taking care of yourself, um, being true to yourself. Um, and some of those are good things. We're supposed to take care of ourselves, okay? But it's interesting that our, in our culture, it becomes that's all it's about. It's, it's, it's enough of everybody else. It's us. And this, the gospel is a totally different orientation. Um, we trust God to take care of ourselves. We do right things, but our interest is supposed to be somewhere else. So don't be seeking our own interests. I love my own interests, by the way. Especially someone when I think they're good ones. And they ought to get attention, and yet there's somebody else that's calling for attention, and God's calling us to put our attention there. John 7, 18 says that we're not to seek our own glory, but rather the glory of the Father. How often do I... And that goes with actually the, the fourth one here, but I'll, I'll get there. 1 Corinthians ten twenty four and 1 Thessalonians five fifteen say, Let no one seek his own good but rather the good of his neighbor. So what happens to us if we do that? 
we're trusting God to take care of our good, right? When I seek the good of my neighbor rather than my own good. And then last, and it goes with John 7, John 7 passage, Galatians 1.10 and 1 Thessalonians 2.6 says, don't seek the approval of men who's already said, I love you, that, I, that you are mine. So don't seek the approval of men. So don't seek a righteousness of our own making. Don't seek our own interest, our own glory, our own good, or the approval of men. Just a few things. So what are do we seek on the positive side? Let me just list a few of these. The one that probably comes to mind first comes out of Matthew and Luke. To seek what first? His kingdom and his righteousness, it says. Luke 12, 29 says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried about those things. For everybody else of the world seeks after those things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and then those things will be added into you. So don't seek what? All these externals that I worry so much about and I spend so much time and effort on. It says rather be focused on seeking his kingdom. I'm not going to answer the question, but the question is, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Um, maybe it's just sitting down this week going, what does that mean? Um, it has to do with his mission and his purposes. It has to do a little bit with what we did in Matthew. What, is, what does it look like to be characterized by the kingdom? So seek those things, to be poor in spirit, to be merciful, those kinds of things. Second thing to seek, to be a worshiper. From John 4, it says this, The hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Psalm 27, 8 says, You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. To seek to be a worshiper. What does it look like to be a worshiper? Um, it's both here. How can I enter into the gathering of God's people in a way that's participates more, that lets God do work. But what does it look like to worship out there and in all the places you are as you carry out your work as acts of worship? To let God infuse himself into all those places as well. Along with that, it says, uh, Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. The psalmist is not talking about the someday coming when we're we're with him. He's talking about the here and now. To, To live life in such a way that I understand that I'm always in his house. Wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it in his home because he's in me. And that's what it is to be a worshiper. Third thing to seek, his activity Psalm 105.4 says we are to seek his presence continually. Part of that is being aware, but my, my sense about that is being able to see where God's at work because that's how his presence shows up. We see all the ways that we feel like God's not showing up, right? We see all the things that, that look wrong and that are, that are a problem. Rather than orientating, and we should, but orientate ourselves to where do I see God working? When, am, when is he showing up? Because he shows up all the time. And he says to seek looking, looking for his activity. Be people that are marking it out and taking notice of it because that fills our heart, gives us hope. 
As I said before, we're not to seek our own good, but 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says we are to seek to do good to one another. And that's within the household of God, but it's outside the household of God as well. To seek the good of one another, to do good to one another. And by the way, that can be in the smallest way. It can just be just a, a nice word to the person at the checkout counter at Safeway who's been doing this all day long, normal life. Um, it can be in the smallest ways. We're to seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 34, 14, and 1 Peter 3, 11. We're to seek peace, and then he says, and pursue it. That means go after it. Don't just hope it shows up, but go after it over and over and over again. And what does that look like? Does it look like here? What does it look like in our houses, in our relationships with each other? And what does it look like um, with your roommate that you're not getting along with or in your workplace with a, a boss that's difficult and troubling? As it were, to look each of you not to his own interests, we heard that, but what? Look and seek the interests of others. By the way, to do that, we've got to know each other. We've got to know what each other needs and then take care of those interests. Next one, Colossians 3.1, it says, Seek the things above. Again, uh, um, we could take a couple weeks on that. What does that mean? It doesn't mean walking around and looking up at the sky, right? Seek the things above. And in the end, at the very end of all this, we are to be like disciples and to seek Jesus, uh, Paul says, the, the best thing I can do is to know him and to seek him out. So those are just a few. The scriptures are full of them. You could pick one, one of those items. Um, I think Dee was mentioning that some people do the one word for the year. Um, I've got like 20, but that doesn't ever work because then you don't do anything, right? Um, one word to, to pay attention to, to, to show up in our life to kind of redirect us. And maybe it's one of these things. Maybe it's just one of these items. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue the interests of others in my home because I've been selfish all year round. It's always about me. I'm not going to do that this year, and I'm going to pursue that. Maybe that's what it is. A couple things to close with this part of it on. There's some places that also talk about what God himself seeks. We've seen some of those. God also is looking and seeking. John 4, we just saw it. He's seeking true worshipers. Psalm 14, 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand who are seeking after God. So perhaps the starting place for us is not a specific thing, but just to decide that having my heart aligned with God actually matters. And maybe we think it isn't, and I'm not sure how I, if I really want that place sometimes. And it just, I don't have that hunger to have it aligned. Maybe it's just praying and asking God to make it matter to you. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth, seeking to give strong support to those whose hearts are fully his. To seek God and pay attention. So in this coming year, being people that are focused on letting our lives be aligned around the purposes of God. Uh, my brother, um, my brother Chuck, I've talked about him before. Um, I got I got a letter from him yesterday, 
from the Metropolitan Correctional Center. It's a, a federal prison in Chicago that my brother is serving time in. Um, talk about ordinary. Um, he was under a house arrest for three years. He couldn't, he couldn't even go out and mow the lawn for three years without the, the alarm thing going off. Um, he was stuck in his house. And now he's, in, he's been in prison for over a year and a half now, and he's got another seven and a half to go. Um, he had a slight stroke last month and um, didn't really get proper care. And so his activity is more limited than it was before. Um, but interesting, as he shares, in, in prison, there's not much to distract. And he's in a kind of a transitional place. There's not a lot of routine. So it's just the same. It's just there's not much. And when he writes and he talks, he just keeps talking about paying attention to the Lord over and over and over again because there's nothing else to do. And suddenly that, that which is most important starts becoming the most important thing. And um, I know that that's mo- working in his heart, but interesting, in his letter today, he said he listed, um, as he shared the gospel, he celebrated Christmas with five guys that last year didn't know Jesus, but know Jesus today. And... Um, by seeking the Lord, making him center. So as we ponder the coming year, um, maybe writing down tonight, what am I seeking? Just put that in front of you somewhere. What am I seeking? Um, some of what we'll find in our answers we're not going to feel real great about. Some of it will be really good stuff, but it's just out of place. And Jesus wants to be the center. Consider what you are most preoccupied with. And then look to see if it identifies something you're seeking that maybe God wants to change and wants to replace it with himself. And then consider, what does it look like to align my heart and my desires with the heart and the desires of God? What does that look like tomorrow and the stuff that goes on tomorrow? What does it look like there in that place? So if you close your eyes for a moment, I'm going to invite Bobby and the worship team come up. And as they do so, maybe just quiet your heart for a moment. It may, like I said, perhaps maybe it begins with, Lord, just remind me what matters um, in this coming year. One of the best things in that passage is Jesus turns to us and he says, what are you seeking? And then he invites us into relationship with him. Matthew 28, 5, after the resurrection, says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. This this morning, as we um, prepare to enter in this new year that we're well into already, um, we gather again around the table. We remember his sacrifice. We remember that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, which was us. And around this table, as we remember and give thanks, it's a, a chance to have the, as we often say, the compass of our hearts realigned to his heart. If you're visiting this morning, we have a table here on the side in the back. Um, If you know Jesus, um, then there's a place for you at the table. 
And we just break the bread off, remember his body, which was hung on the cross, and we dip it in the cup, remembering his blood that was shed that takes away all of our sin and pours the righteousness of Christ on us and sets us on a new path. So as we sing, invite you to the table. I'll pray. Lord, like we often do at the beginning of the year, we have lots of plans and ideas, good things. And it takes us about a day to forget. Um, And that goes with our thoughts sometimes of aligning our hearts and lives to you as well. And um, I would ask, even as we gather around the table and as we do that each week, that you would cause us to be, have a healthy discontent when our hearts are not aligned with you. And that you would keep inviting us back to seek what matters and to seek the things that you've made us uh, to seek, that you've created us for. So be honored as we gather around the table that you've, thank you for your gift of your sacrifice, which has changed everything for us. And as we as one body gather around the one bread and the one cup, uh, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.